Every revolution begins as a dream. It was your belief and your passion. It started a fire. Just one year ago, all elite wrestling was an idea that was willed into existence with a burning passion. I started this revolution single-handedly, carrying the company on my back. I am revolution. Wrestlers and fans alike, what a change. It's a moment of, of people finally having clarity and thinking, I want change, I want something new. Together with its loyal fans, AEW has changed the landscape of professional wrestling. Revolution means to me a change, a shift in what is considered normal. Creating unforgettable moments that will last forever. I think you're going to find there are elements in our pay-per-views, things that you don't expect. And I think that's what you're going to see at Revolution. For its third consecutive pay-per-view sellout in Chicago, Illinois, AEW returns to the city where the revolution began. Wrestling fans, are you ready? This is Tuesday. You people bought a ticket to see me, so shut up. Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. First of all, Dusty Rose, I think what you are is a big, ugly, low-class redneck goose. That's what I think you are. Yeah, I put it. I know I put it. But most of all, the baddest man around in the world today. Follow the show at Wrestling TWT on Twitter and Instagram. But remember, my fireflies, as always, I'll light the way. And all you have to do is let me in. Tuesday, Wrestling Tuesday. The bottom line is... Welcome in to another edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. I'm Jonathan Hood. Check out the YouTube page, youtube.com. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Hit that subscribe button. And thanks for following along on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. That's WrestlingTWT. Every Tuesday we give you something in professional wrestling slash sports entertainment. Always think about telling you, but sometimes I just forget to tell you about my show. If you are a sports fan, you should check out Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. It airs weeknights on ESPN 1000. And also you can download the brand new ESPN Chicago app. That way you hear my interviews, podcast, content. It's all there on Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. But you got to download that ESPN Chicago app. It's brand new. It's easy to navigate. Doesn't matter if you're an Android user or an iPhone user or put it on your iPad your device of choice, check out the ESPN Chicago app. On this program, we will review AEW Revolution that took place in Chicago at the Wintrust Arena. First time ever, a professional wrestling show taking place at the Wintrust Arena in Chicago. Also, we'll talk about Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy has drawn a line in the sand about his future. Some thoughts about Monday Night Raw taking place um, yesterday as we record this early on Tuesday morning. And some interesting comments from former WCW president, former WWE, I don't know, talent, as well as uh, producer Eric Bischoff. All part of the mix right here on this edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Well... Let's talk about AEW Revolution in Chicago, the pay-per-view that took place at the Wintrust Arena. First of all, being from Chicago, I can say without being biased, I can say this without 
any pause that Chicago is just the best when it comes to professional wrestling. I've gone to wrestling events going back to the late 70s with my grandfather, and there's nothing like this crowd, right? There's nothing like a Chicago crowd. It doesn't matter where it is. This show taking place in Chicago is very rare because some of the great Chicago wrestling shows over the last 20 plus years, 30 years, have taken place in Rosemont, Hoffman Estates, Villa Park, a lot of places around the suburbs, around Chicago. But in Chicago, it's just amazing because growing up watching wrestling in the International Amphitheater, uh, growing up watching shows at the United Center slash Chicago Stadium, um, the UIC Pavilion for a lot of NWA events, man, there's nothing like Chicago. And this crowd was hot for everything because it's just one of the best, if to me, the best crowd uh, for professional wrestling uh, in the country. There's New York, there's LA, there's Dallas, there's a lot of other places, but man, there's nothing like Chicago, that's for sure. And so let's talk about AEW Revolution because it was just tremendous. So John Moxley wins the World's Heavyweight Championship against Chris Jericho. And I really like this matchup. I like the build for this matchup. Um, you know, I thought there was a lot of interference in a lot of these matches, and we'll go through it. But I just think that for the build, kind of knowing that John Moxley was going to be the new AEW champion, I was just happy to see it. Um, I know the Sammy Guevara came out. Jake Hager came out at some point. Point, point is, though, is that it's a really, really solid rivalry. And I thought that the match was about an A- minus to a B plus. It wasn't one of these classic matches that we'll always remember. I think we'll remember the post-match more so than anything else and just a feeling that fans gave to John Moxley as he won the World Heavyweight Championship. Just the crowd was just hot for John Moxley. And I think, you know, leading into this, I was wondering in some areas where AEW would go, you know, is John Moxley the guy? Is John Moxley the guy to be the heavyweight champion? Are people really appreciating what John brings to the table? Now, he's a totally different wrestler. Like, this is not going to be a guy who's going to give you classic 30 and 60 minute matches. There's going to be a lot of violence. I think there's going to be a lot of blood. But I know that John is driven. I enjoyed my interview with him. If you haven't checked it out, go to the archives of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday and check it out for yourself. John Moxley um, is pretty driven to be able to show that he is more than just the Dean Ambrose character that he was in the WWE. And he wants to be able to prove it in Japan and doing it here in America as being the guy. Uh, and so I think that it works out perfect for the promotion. Uh, I think that just like Chris Jericho, John Moxley is a veteran in the company, will lead and really help a lot of these young wrestlers. Doesn't matter what the opponent is, John Moxley's a guy that is a veteran that's been there and done that. And I think that he can help a lot of these young wrestlers along as a champion uh, when he gets in some of these matches. So I, I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. Chris Jericho, though, before we even turn the page on this, just a shout out to Chris Jericho for being the heavyweight champion, the first champion for AEW, and the way he carried that championship. Um, the La, La Champion uh, cutting promos, doing fun things in the ring, having pretty good matches. Um, I just want to give him a shout-out because he could have easily gone back to the WWE for the check. He could have easily gone back to the WWE and just been in the mid-card or kind of just being left behind and, and eventually a Hall of Famer. But Chris Jericho wanted to reinvent himself. 
as Jim Ross says in the broadcast, the reverend of reinvention. That's true. Uh, Chris Jericho has been a lot of different things, but the one thing we do know is that no matter what he is as the pain maker or as that Nick Bockwinkle character with the suit, or if he's uh, a rock and roller, you know, uh, going back to his days in WCW, man, that that guy knows how to be able to get to an audience. He knows how to be a heel. He knows how to work in the ring, even at his advanced age. Uh, he is just uh, really solid. So I, I take my hat off to him because he could have easily not been in AEW and been doing the faces of it. But he put himself in a position where he's working hard in the back, talking to young wrestlers, communicating with them, uh, and putting AEW on the map because of who he is. So that's... Uh, you know, all hats off to him because I thought that, you know, his reign as champion was stellar. And not just through AEW wrestling circles. He was doing other shows, you know, being on talk shows outside of wrestling, promoting AEW, promoting himself, of course, because that's what Jer- Chris Jericho also does. But I, I just thought that that was just tremendous. So uh, hats off to him. Other matches on Revolution, watching Pac or Pack, oh gosh, Pack against um, Orange Cassidy. This match surprised me, but the work from Orange Cassidy did not surprise me. I've seen Orange Cassidy wrestle, and I know the gimmick. It is an acquired taste, that is for sure. A guy that comes across, seems like a sloth and doesn't really want to work hard. He's got his hands in his pocket. It's not necessarily my cup of tea, but once he starts moving in the ring, that guy is fantastic. And you like that the crowd is behind him. I don't know how that works if he was in NXT. I have no idea how that works in other companies. Uh, But I just know that for AEW... And for those that have seen Orange Cassidy, they understand the gimmick. The guy pretends like he doesn't care, comes across as just indifferent to everything, and then all of a sudden when he's got to go, when the bell rings, he just is a torpedo out there. He moves fast. And so I just thought the match surprised me because I didn't know how it would work with Pac. I didn't know how those two would be able to work together. And there was a, a, a dry smile on the face of Pac, uh, and also on Orange Cassidy in this matchup because I think even Pac was surprised at how much acclaim that Orange Cassidy was getting from the crowd in Chicago. It's Chicago, so everything's hot for the most part. Everything's hot. Um, Chicago's not going to shit on just matches just to do it. Um, they're going to encourage because they want to see action. They want to see blood. They want to see action. They want to see um, some great wrestling. So the match surprised me. And for those that had never seen Orange Cassidy perform, I'm sure that it was a big surprise also. So I really enjoyed the match. Um, I see that um, Cassidy tapped out in the match, and I thought it was a good, solid B-plus match. Let me get to MJF versus Cody. I was disappointed in this match, just on its surface. And, And here's why I was disappointed. When you have a grudge match of these epic proportions between MJF and Cody. And it has been great. They're not good. It's been great between the two. MJF is a heel and he wants you to know that he's a heel. He's not trying to be a cool heel. He's a heel. And he's thrown everything at Cody, whether that is having his sidekick with him to wrestle Cody in a cage match in Wardlow, the 10 lashes across the back, just running Cody down for his lisp and the way he looks, all these different things, right? 
Cody, on the other hand, Cody, the ultimate baby face in that Dusty Rhodes type feel. As Cody Rhodes is the baby face, people know who he is and what he means to the company. And just this battle between the two and how they hadn't touched and they hadn't been able to go after one another until this match, the anticipation, the build, as these two have not touched, at least as far as Cody not being able to touch MJF. And you come to the match and it's just filled with Gaga. It had a lot of high-end expectations, and I think that MJF wrestled well, a lot of stalling at the beginning, and Cody was on the verge of being able to win, but then that cheap shot by MJF with the the ring, and then that's the end of the match. Too much Brandy Rhodes out there, too much Arn Anderson out there, too much Wardlow out there. It's just too much, too many moving parts around what should have been the focus, and that is MJF versus Cody. Now, here's the thing I will tell you. If there is going to be more matches between the two, and you can't end the, the rivalry and the feud right there in Chicago, it has to be more. It has to go for another, what, five, six months? I, I'm anticipating when the blow-off is going to happen, and if the blow-off happens, it's got to be just tremendous. This felt like something I would see on Dynamite. And that's that was not pay-per-view quality. I did not think that that match uh, reached the expectations of a rivalry match. Too much uh, outside interference, too many other things happening when the focus should have been on those two. But if this is the scratches the surface and they got more, then cool, I'm ready for more. But I was disappointed in, in this match because... Um, if it's a pay-per-view and I'm paying 50 bucks for it, I expect to see something a lot more. The The blood that MJF spilled, I'm not even sure what it gets spilled on. Like, I don't even know how you can look at that match and say, oh, it was that moment. It was that particular move in which he hit the ring post or he got hit by the bell or some kind of foreign object or whatever. That's what opened up MJF. It was kind of like a kick to MJF's face, and all of a sudden, um, MJF is just bleeding, and I'm like, "Well, where, 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 where did the the blood come from? Like, what what move opened him up like that? A cut, yes, but he op- got opened up like he was hit by a sledgehammer. So, in that case, blood for the sake of blood did not make sense, and so MJF got his hand raised. Uh, there better be a lot better from these two moving forward. It wasn't the shits. I'm not saying that it was awful. What I'm saying is that I was disappointed that after all this buildup, that there's still all this stuff moving around the match instead of what's focusing, you know, what's on in the ring. And um, I, I just didn't get it. You know, Dustin, uh, rather, uh, Cody Rhodes has a, a problem with his toe, a broken toe, after diving off the cage against Wardlow. Cool. Okay. But you're still utilizing that foot as if you're healthy when the boot was taken off. I don't. I don't know. I just. I expect better. And by the way, that neck tattoo, boy, that is, that is just classic, isn't it? I mean, I, I apparently Brandy Rose didn't even know that Cody's gonna get that neck tattoo. I mean, that's not even sure why, <laughs> why he decided to do that. Um, as an executive in the company, but he, I thought at first when I thought I saw, when I first saw it, I thought it was kind of a, a temporary tattoo. I'm like, this is not, this is not real. He's not doing this, is he? Yes, it's a real neck tattoo. Okay, great. 
Nyla Rose against Chris Statlander for the AEW Women's Championship. Um, that was uh, that was not a very good match. But I, again, I want to credit the crowd. The crowd stood up and they applauded these two because they were encouraging. The crowd in Chicago was encouraging these two to have a better match, and it just kind of fell flat. Um, whether it was botches or just. Um, the action just wasn't very good. And I know that there will be some that will say, well, you know, coming off of the great tag team match, you know, when you have to have a kind of a let me down a little bit, the crowd was so high at the, you know, with the tag team match that you bring in Nyla Rose and Chris. Now, that wasn't the reason. Uh, it had nothing to do with the previous match. It had to do with those two not putting on a good match. And I talked to Josh Lopez about that. And I said, this is an opportunity for Chris Statlander to be able to show what she can do. She's so green. And that that just did not work. And it's not on Nyla Rose. Nyla Rose is the veteran in that match. She's the heel, so she was probably calling the, the action. Um, there are some that will say that Kenny Omega put the match together. That, 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 that really doesn't matter. It's up to those two to be able to put on a better match, and that was just that was horrible. And Nyla Rose is a monster. She's taking on Chris Statlander, who's green, and that should have been a better match, and it just wasn't. Uh, and maybe they'll have more time to work with each other, but it just accentuates my point about how if you just work on Wednesdays and, and then you expected to put on a pay-per-view, well, if you're only working once a week, you're not working at your craft. This is why AEW at some point has to go into the house show business, not necessarily like 52 weeks a year. They don't have to be on tour like WWE, but either in a facility or on the road, these wrestlers that are green need to have more time. It just hap- as it has to happen. I don't know Chris Statlander's, um, what her schedule is, but I'm thinking because she's in AEW, when she's wrestling on TV or wrestling on YouTube, that's when she wrestles. That's not good enough. They need to put a lot more time in to be able to get some of these moves together. And I understand it's not ballet. And everything's not going to be perfect, but you can't look like you have ring rust and look like, hey, you can't even do a simple kip up. And I'm a Chris Statlander fan, but it's got to be better than that. So there's been a lot of conversation in the wrestling community about the AEW tag team match of Adam Hangman Page and Kenny Omega against the Young Bucks. A lot of conversation about this. And the conversation is is that this is the greatest tag team match in, in the history of the business. What we saw on AEW Revolution that these four put on the greatest tag team match of all time. I will say that it's the best match on AEW Revolution. I don't know if I would say that it's the greatest match of all time, the tag team match of all time. Even though there was a ton of moves and 50,000 kickouts and near falls, it was uh, impactful throughout there were some lulls in the match where, you know, the young bucks were trying to figure out, okay, so how do we approach this? If we're friends with Paige and Omega, um, uh, should we do this move? Should we give them the? Should we give them pain? Should we do what we normally do to opponents? And it was, uh, it was, it was quite the match. I think of great tag team matches like the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express, the Midnight Express and the Fantastics, Carnotal and Slaughter against Steamboat and Young Blood. Think of um, Playboy Buddy Rose and Pretty Boy Doug Summers against 
uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. I think about the Bulldogs versus the Hart Foundation. I think of Team 3D, the Hardys, and Edge and Christian. Uh, there's a lot of great tag team matches that I have seen. And I will say that uh, this match that we saw at Revolution is one of the best, that's for sure. I'm going to go back and watch it again. I, I, I think I know all the spots, <laughs> and I think I know when the Golden Trigger's coming and the Buckshot Lariats and the Buckshot slash V-Trigger and all these other things that, that we saw, uh, the One-Winged Angel by Page, which was kind of awesome. There's a lot of match, a lot of great action in this match. I don't know. I don't, well, let me just say, it's not the greatest tag team match I've ever seen. And I'm not one of these guys that's so old school that will not acknowledge the modern era of what's going on in wrestling. I'm not doing that. I'm not that guy. Um, but I will not go over the top like Dave Meltzer and tell you that it's the greatest match, greatest tag team match of all time. Um, there's other matches I just listed right there that are my, amongst my favorites. Um, but it, it really was very, very impactful and, and very entertaining. If you have not seen that, it's the best match on this card. You get, you have to see it because it's not just the match, it's the story along with the match. Um, trying to figure out where Hangman Page's head is. Is he for the elite or not? Is Kenny Omega uh, going to turn on Page, or is Page going to turn on Omega? The Young Bucks seemed like they were booed some in Chicago. It wasn't a full, um, it wasn't full anarchy by the fans, but you can see hear some boos here and there with the Young Bucks. Uh, with uh, as they took on Omega and and Page because the Young Bucks were just kind of figuring out like, well. You know, these are our friends. Do we just go all in and beat hell, beat the hell out of them or not? And it's just like, that's just kind of an interesting thing. Um, so go back and watch that if you've not seen that. That's a, a really, really terrific match. Best tag team match of all time? I'm not so sure about that one. Um, Darby Allen against Sammy Guevara. Um, I need to see these two wrestle another five times. It's not because the match was just five stars. I want to see it because I just want to see these two go at it. I I, I really like Darby Allen. The crowd loves Darby Allen. Every, it's not just a Chicago crowd. Every time AEW comes on, there's a big um, ovation for Darby Allen because he's different. He comes in with a skateboard. You know, he skates He gets a skateboard. He goes to the ring, and he takes out Guevara. And uh, it, it's great because. Sammy Guevara is arrogant and was one of the reasons why Darby Allen is, is could not talk and he's got an issue with his throat and all that and so there's a backstory to that match as well and so I just need to see them wrestle even more more so because I know that those two have more to give that was a solid B match really and like that match I just want to see more of it Jake Hager against Dustin Rhodes I did not expect to see Jake Hager's wife at ringside did not expect to see that um, but she was um a big factor in the uh, in the match, uh, Dustin Rose putting a big kiss on uh, on Jake Hager, <laughs> on Jake Hager's wife. That's pretty funny, um, but it, you know it's it started the match. It surprised me. It started the card, by the way. It started the actual pay per view card that those two big hosses were going at it. But Dustin Rose is in the best shape of his life, and Jake Hager. It's good to see him in the ring. I like that submission that he put on. I really like that submission because it's it's different. Um, you you put a, a, an opponent to sleep. He's big and powerful, so it's very believable. So I I like that a lot. Dark Order, by the way, the Dark Order defeated SCU in one of the dark matches that took place at AEW Revolution as well. I'm looking at it now. Um, 
There was questions on whether or not Christopher Daniels was going to be the quote-unquote exalted one, and that it was not the case, as we come to find out that Christopher Daniels is sticking with SCU is not part of the Dark Order. Okay, very interesting stuff. So I, I thought that the pay-per-view overall was a solid B, uh, and once again, AEW, whether you like the company or not, is trying to show that they're different than everyone else. Um, whether you believe it's a super indie with money, if you think that it is, um, they're purposely trying to be different from everyone else, including the WWE, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. I like the effort from top to bottom of this roster and these wrestlers. They're trying to do something different. I like it. Without putting a middle finger to the WWE, they're just saying, we're going to do our own thing and carve our own niche. That's what they said from the beginning. You know, um, the, the whole thought process was, we're going to give fans an alternative. Sold out crowd once again in Chicago. They are doing well in a lot of these markets as a new company. And even in the social media era, uh, I can clearly tell you that when you are a startup company and you do have some veterans on the roster and some young wrestlers on the come, that is far and away better than most of the promotions that are independently run. They're doing the best that they can, and they got room for improvement, sure, but so does the WWE and everybody else. But I'm proud of the effort by AEW to try to carve their own niche in the wrestling landscape because uh, every if vanilla ice cream was the only thing that was served at Baskin-Robbins, that would suck. You want to have more than just a vanilla ice cream. You want to have different varieties, different flavors. AEW definitely is a different flavor. Now, Beth... I owe you an explanation. Edge and I were battling all over the world in main events, main events of pay-per-views for the Intercontinental Championship, and we were stealing the show every damn night. And then a few years after that, Edge and I started our rated RKO, and you know what we did? We became tag team champions. And just when things couldn't get any better, just when we were flying high as high can be, I got a little too close to the sun. I flew a little too high myself. I hit a brick wall. I hit a rough patch, to say the least of it. And I made some very poor life choices. And I dug a hole so deep, Beth, that I should have been buried in it. But you know why I wasn't? Because Edge reached down, grabbed me by the hand, and pulled me up out of that hole. He saved my life. He made me realize that there's more to life. There's love, there's children, there's having a family, starting a family. I was able to go to volleyball games, baseball games, go to my son's play, help them with their homework, teach them how to be men, teach my daughters how a man should treat a woman. And I was able to do that because your husband, Edge, saved my life. I realized in this very ring that Edge thought that he was back for good. Edge thought that he was going to start competing on a regular basis, and I knew better. I knew that someone like me was going to make a name for themselves and put your husband in a wheelchair or possibly worse. And I wanted you to have a husband. I wanted your two little daughters, Lyric and Ruby, to have their father. How are your daughters, by the way? Thanks to me, 
Edge is going to be able to be their father, be your husband. He's going to be able to go on hikes, ride bikes, take them to volleyball practice, softball practice. He's going to be able to be there for them because of me. And I did it because I love Edge, I love you, and I love your two little girls. Everybody thinks it was my fault, but you know deep down in your heart, you know with every shred of your being that it's not my fault, is it, Beth? It's your fault. You are an enabler. You enabled Edge. If he was a drug addict, you wouldn't supply him with drugs. If he was an alcoholic, you wouldn't mix him a drink and put one in his hand every night. Edge is a junkie. Edge is a junkie for the roar of the crowd. And you did nothing, nothing to stop him. You did nothing to help him. So I had to step in because I love him like a brother. And I had to do what I had to do to make sure that he could go on and be your husband. Be a father to Lyric and Ruby. Truth hurts, don't it? Staroff, Beth Phoenix, Randy Orton. And that was the way it worked on Monday Night Raw. A great promo by Randy Orton as Beth Phoenix was standing in the ring. Beth Phoenix, the wife of Edge and color commentator for NXT. She wanted to confront Randy Orton face-to-face. And you heard that terrific promo by Randy Orton and then the RKO to Beth Phoenix. Some people are wondering why. Why? Why did that happen? Why did Randy Orton put the RKO on Beth Phoenix? Well, because that's professional wrestling. (laughs) That's what professional wrestling is. Amazing how a professional wrestling angle worked into a sports entertainment show on Raw. See? Randy Orton is the hottest thing going into WrestleMania. The only thing that feels like WrestleMania is Randy Orton versus Edge. That's the only thing that feels like WrestleMania. It's March. WrestleMania is right around the corner. And a lot of these matches are tepid. Tepid. Yes, Edge is one of these um, Hall of Famers and uh, part-time wrestlers now. You can put him in the part-time wrestling category that's going to be part of WrestleMania versus a full-timer and Randy Orton. But that feels like WrestleMania. You know why? Because there's an edge. Not, <laughs> it's an edge between the two. Not speaking of Adam Copeland. I'm saying that there is a feeling that there is something big that's going to happen. 
That's what WrestleMania feels like. Randy Orton, who's been with this company for a long time, he didn't reinvent himself. He's still the Viper. He's still a guy that is uh, very sneaky, uh, will come up from behind on you, will do salacious things, will do crazy things to you. But it feels fresh that it's Edge. First, it was Edge that he took out. Then it was Matt Hardy, who we're going to hear from in just a moment, who he took out. And now Beth Phoenix. You know what this is? It's WrestleMania season. Don't you wish the other uh, type of programs, some of the other things that's going on in this company, felt like Edge versus Randy Orton? That's WrestleMania. This other stuff, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it feels, some of these other builds are feel like Super Showdown. It feels like Fastlane. It feels like, you know, some of these other events that the WWE has. But that is WrestleMania. That is special. Very interesting stuff right there. Now I can't wait to see Randy Orton again. It The company is big. And I understand that the WWE is bigger than the wrestlers, bigger than the announcers, bigger than everything else. It's bigger than the fans, quite frankly. The company is so big that it's bigger than everything else. But you know what? It still comes down to storylines, compelling storylines that are not stupid, storylines in which you can kind of lean in a little bit further into your device. You you stand up straighter in your chair and you're like, oh, this is interesting. Very interesting. And this is interesting with Randy Orton and Edge. There is a story. It's great. It just That's just great. Oh, by the way, you know what does not feel like WrestleMania? What doesn't feel like WrestleMania is when Ricochet loses to Riddick Moss for the 24-7 championship. And also, it doesn't feel like WrestleMania when Ricochet goes to Saudi Arabia and gets beat in a minute by Brock Lesnar. You know what also does not feel like WrestleMania? When Ricochet, a guy that is a great worker, was a great worker on the indies with NXT, comes to the WWE main roster and just is just pushed aside like he's nothing, like he's not special. That also uh, does not feel like WrestleMania. That poor guy. <laughs> I know he's living his dream and he's making a lot more money than you and me, but my God, man. I mean, Ricochet is just a nobody now in this company. I don't know how he'll he'll ever be able to get back on top. Um, Street Pop, let's see, the Street Profits defeated Seth Rollins and Murphy to win the uh, Raw Tag Team Championships. Well, they should reward them with something after they've been going through all of these, these stupid skits, these SNL skits, and this this weird jive tones uh promos that they've been doing and just very bizarre uh but it's good to see them win the tag team championships after the loss rollins demanded a rematch for elimination chamber also said that kevin owens can name the time place and stipulation for a match between the two because uh of course kevin owens slid in the ring and helped the street profits win the tag team championships Maybe um, one of these tag team championships on the Raw or SmackDown side can get hot because neither one of them is hot at all. Even when Murphy and Rollins had the championships, not hot at all. Here's something hot for you. How about Matt Hardy? Matt Hardy officially is a free agent now and he can go wherever he wants to go as he's no longer with the WWE. Hello everyone and welcome to Thoughts from the Throne 26. I can't believe we've done 26 of these things. 
Today is March the 2nd, 2020, and I promised each and every one of you, all of you guys who are such loyal, diehard fans, and thank you for tuning into my YouTube channel, subscribing to my YouTube channel, and watching all my videos, especially the Free the Elite series. I've had such great success with that. I promised to each and every one of you that I would update you on my current contractual status. Right now, it is just a little past midnight. We have just entered Monday, and that is March 2nd, 2020, and my WWE contract was set to expire on midnight of March 1st. And this is what's happened. As of this current time, I have decided to let my contract with WWE expire. I am going to become a free agent, and that's not saying I'm not going to return to WWE. I did not want to leave WWE. I love WWE. WWE is my home. WWE has treated me great as an employee for the last three years. They've been good to me. They've been good to my family. They've been great to my kids. I have nothing but great things to say about WWE and all the people who work there. And going back 20 plus years ago, if it wasn't for Vince McMahon, I would not have been able to obtain the life, the quality of life that I currently have. So I will always be grateful for that and I will always be appreciative of that. I also have to say like Triple H, Stephanie, they were always great to me. Michael Hayes, a good friend of mine. I'm going to miss him if I'm not there. Everybody at WWE has been really, really good. And it's it, very much like family. So many talents there that I'm close friends with. It's just time for me to take a break and become a free agent. I didn't want to leave WWE because it is my home. The reason I needed to leave WWE is because when it comes to my creative stance, and my creative outlook on myself and my career and how I wanted to go for these last three or four years that I have to spend as an active in-ring competitor. I just think myself and WWE are on different pages. And uh, it's very important to me because I love this business, man. If you know me, you know how crazy passionate I am about this and how much I love it. And the last three or four years that I have as an in-ring competitor is really important to me to cement my legacy. And I want to enter a creative renaissance. I am not obviously 25 or 30 years old. I'm 45 years old. And I have to be utilized in a certain way. But I still know in my heart, I know I have so much to offer this business. I have so much entertainment left inside this vessel. And I have so much that I want to give to each and every one of you. I want to enter a creative renaissance and I want to have uh, non-stop in input on my creative process. And I think that's where WWE and I are in, on different pages. So that is the reason that I'm going to take a break and step away from WWE. Thoughts there from uh, Matt Hardy, who says he's stepping away from the WWE. He is a free agent. Uh, it's uh, on his YouTube page, youtube.com. Look for um, Matt Hardy's um, YouTube page he spoke about eight minutes plus about his free agency and um, he's not leaving in a bitter way he's just saying that he wants to do other things with his career um, and rightfully so rightfully so um, I could see him in AEW I could see him in New Japan I could see him doing things um, that makes him happy listen Matt Hardy is no different than the revival no different than Oni Lorcan or whoever else who's gone on Twitter and kind of complained about their career in the WWE. I look at it like this. 
you get paid very well by the WWE, life-changing money for some and probably most of the company, uh, most of the wrestlers on the, in the company. And so you get paid a lot of money and the WWE, what they want is your time. They want you to travel across the country, around the world. They want you to continue to wrestle. No matter what the creative is, you have to do what they say. You have to do promos the way they want you to do it. And if you the wins and losses don't matter, you're just there to perform. And for some that really love this business, like Matt Hardy or like The Revival or others in the company, they want to be able to do more than just scripted promos and walking up and down the hallways trying to memorize a script and three-minute matches or five-minute matches, and they're not going anywhere. I just think that that someone that, that works wants to be able to enjoy what they do. No matter how much money or how little money or how, how great the money is, you want to be able to enjoy yourself at work, do things that make you happy. And I just think that there are some, based on what we've seen on social media and things that we read, there are some of that company just like, man, I just got to get out of here. I just want to have my own creative freedom to be able to express myself. I can do a promo by myself. I don't need to be under the auspices of the WWE reading things and saying things that I don't believe. And you can hear some of these promos, boy. And this is on NXT and the WWE. There's some promos and you just know that the hearts their hearts are not into it. But it's Vince and the writers. They're creative for these wrestlers. And a lot of these wrestlers are just not actors. They're not actresses. They just want to be able to wrestle, give their promo, uh, be able to show who they really are, and have a personality. But that's not how it works in the WWE. So even for Matt Hardy, and we know how entertaining he is. We know how great he was. I mean, he he was the only reason why Impact Wrestling was interesting for a long time. Because he and Jeff Hardy were able to do something creatively that we had never seen before. Something that we've never seen. It, it was just beyond professional wrestling. But it was trending. It was something that people enjoyed, and people couldn't wait to see it. They come back to WWE, and it's kind of like the same thing. Like, nothing's really changed. So it's great that Matt is a free agent, deciding, hey, I'm not going to come back to the company right now. I want to take care of myself, because he knows that he's going to be a WWE Hall of Famer. It's just like, well, you know, why even... <laughs> why I continue to go there for another three, four years to to wrestle underneath and not be the person I want to be. So hats off to him. I can't wait to see his next move. And finally, I think that Eric Bischoff is going to be like the last thing we have on these podcasts all the time. Always <laughs> Bischoff's always at the tail end of these podcasts. So if you want to hear from Eric Bischoff, um, listen to this next segment. Uh, if not, I'll see you next time on TWT. No, uh, Eric Bischoff um, <laughs> from his podcast, 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. He was on with Conrad Thompson. And they were reviewing WCW Money Nitro of March of 2000. Good Lord. Oh, God. I don't know why they go to the archives. I understand it's an anniversary coming up. Um, the 6th of March is this Friday as we record this. So they were looking at March 6, 2000's Money Nitro from Chapel Hill. And they were reviewing it. I think they did a watch along or whatever. But I did hear Eric Bischoff talk a little bit about Bray Wyatt losing the Universal Championship to Bill Goldberg. Anytime you hear something modern from some of these um, retro podcasts, when they go back and look at wrestling from 20, 30 years ago, if you ever hear a modern thought from 
uh, one of these podcasts is always very interesting to me. Uh, Eric Bischoff, who was with the WWE the second time around, what, for 83 days? Not 83 weeks, but like 83 days or maybe even less than that when he was running SmackDown, gave his thoughts about Goldberg being the uh, universal champion as he won in Saudi Arabia. Hey, by the way, uh, we're, we're watching the WWE Network, and you've shielded it a few times today, and I'm sure they thank you for that. But uh, you No, also, they don't. <laughs> okay, they probably They should, don't. but they don't. You, um, you also said that you don't keep up with the current product because you find it just sort of formulaic. Uh, I'm sure you saw the controversy this past week in Saudi Arabia. A lot of people expected The Fiend to beat Goldberg, Goldberg and it didn't go that way. Goldberg essentially squashed The Fiend. I think like three spears and a jackhammer later, we were done and we have a new champion. What do you think of uh, Goldberg going over the Fiend and becoming the champ right here in WrestleMania season? Yeah, let me clarify the, uh, the statement you made or I made that you repeated. When I say I don't keep up with the product, I mean that I can't sit in and watch an entire Raw or I can't sit and watch you know an entire SmackDown. I do keep up with the product, but I do it kind of an I do it a la carte. You know, if I know something's going to happen that I happen to be interested in or, you know, anything Randy Orton, for example, if I know Randy's going to be involved in some kind of an important match or angle or a setup or, or, or you know, an end to an angle, you know, I'm going to tune in because I love watching Randy Orton work, you know, so there, and there's certain, you know, I love Dolph Ziggler. I love watching his work. I like Seamus. You know, there's certain characters that I watch that I, you know, kind of wished I would have had a chance to work with and I was excited about working with when I was in WWE most recently that I didn't get a chance to. So I keep up with it. I just don't watch it as religiously or as intensely as I used to. But I did hear about that yesterday. I didn't watch the pay-per-view. I was busy yesterday, but um, I did read about it. I followed up and, and did some research. And I'm surprised, honestly, for a couple of reasons. You know, at least when I was in WWE, I don't know what the situation is now, but his um, his merchandise they couldn't they couldn't produce it fast enough. I mean, it appeared to me at least that Fiend was going to be one of those characters that could be an Undertaker esque type character over the long term. Mrs. Me just brought me some more coffee. Just what our audience needed. Eric Bischoff wired up on more caffeine, but. Um, so I, you know, given the the trajectory of the Fiend character, I was really surprised. And no, nothing against Bill, but he's not a full timer; he's a part timer. And Bill pretty much shit the bed last time he was in Saudi Arabia. So I was, I, I found that shocking, particularly you know the way they did it as quickly as they did it. And a lot of that might have had to do with the fact that Bill's not really the right guy to go out there and have you know a twenty minute match with a guy like. You know, with, with a fiend. Interesting thoughts there from Eric Bischoff, former executive of WCW and the WWE. All right, my friends, that will do it for another edition of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Don't forget to check out the YouTube page, youtube.com. Subscribe to youtube.com. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Tell people that Jonathan Hood's talking wrestling, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, uh, as we give you the best in professional wrestling conversation right here, wherever you download your podcast. Great to talk about AEW Revolution. Great to talk to you about what's going on on Monday Night Raw. Boy, a real WrestleMania feud that's happening uh, with Randy Orton against Edge. Man, that's that's some fun stuff. That's some really good... That's really hot. It's the hottest thing going on in the WWE right now. Well, 
you know what? Let me let me not say that. I mean, Drew McIntyre laying waste to Brock Lesnar. I mean, that's. I mean, every time you look around, Brock Lesnar is getting a Claymore kick to the face. I mean, that's pretty entertaining, right? Just they can keep doing all this nonsense on Raw. Just give me a good match. Give me a. If that's the main event, give me a good match. And I don't mean Brock Lesnar losing the championship in two minutes. No, give give me a good match. Give me a story. Besides just McIntyre just getting Lesnar from behind. Stop that nonsense. <sighs> oh, and of course, Eric Rowan. He finally opened the cage and it was like this big spider. <laughs> That's what we would. That's the build for a couple of months. What's in the cage? There's this nasty spider. Boy, what a letdown. Oh well. Thanks for listening to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Jonathan Hood right here, and don't forget to follow along on Instagram and Twitter at Wrestling T W T.